So we're picking up where we left off last week, which you probably remember Daniel was seeking answers from God because Israel was still in captivity. Now, Daniel first, if you remember, he investigated the scriptures, and then after that, he prayed. The first thing he did when he went to prayer was he removed distractions. Remember that? When we go to prayer, we're supposed to remove all the distractions. Then the first thing he did when he was actually praying was he confessed his sin, and then he was confessing his sin and the sin of Israel. And then after that, he went to supplication, which we're all familiar with, which that is asking God, okay? It's begging and asking God. Supplication, that's most of our prayer life, right? Asking, please God, please God, please God, please God, please God, do this, right? So Daniel first confessed, and remember, the confession was about three times longer than the supplication. So that kind of does teach us something. When we come to the Lord, we have to be introspective and look at our own lives. We're going to do that a little bit later at, in communion. So we're going to pick, off in verse, pick up in verse 20 where uh, Daniel actually is still praying. And he says this, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God, here's what happens. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So this is not the first time that God sent Gabriel to Daniel. If you remember, he also appeared to him to interpret the ram and goat vision found in chapter 8, if you remember that. So Daniel was praying during that time, which was traditionally known as the evening sacrifice. Even though there was no sacrifice at that time because Israel was in captivity, Daniel practiced praying at the times of sacrifice, at the times of temple sacrifice. So that's what he did. And if you remember, I mentioned last week that uh, some theologians believe that Daniel was praying, and this was the time that it was against the rule of Darius to actually pray. So he was in the evening praying, and Gabriel appeared to him. And here's what happens. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So now Gabriel is appearing to Daniel. He was sent to him for two reasons. And the first is so that Daniel understands what's going to happen. Remember, he went to prayer because he was like, Lord, what's going on? Um, you know, we're still in captivity. I've read your word in Jeremiah, and it sounds to me like there's 70 years of captivity. We're almost done, and it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. So what's going on? So, so, um, so Gabriel comes so that Daniel understands what's going to happen in the future to Israel. That's the first reason. And the second reason, this is interesting, it says that Daniel is greatly loved. Greatly loved. Some translations say high, highly esteemed or precious to God. So now here we have a man who is greatly loved, highly esteemed, precious to God, that's asking God for something. Now this can be controversial for some because we think, Aren't we all precious to God? Okay, aren't we all precious to God? And I would say yes, and not in the same way as Daniel. 
and I'll explain myself. Okay, yes, we are all precious to God, and we see that in the cross, right? We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus came, stretched out his arms, died on that cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the grave to prove that he is God, and the scriptures tell us all who believe will have eternal life. You and I, all of us, are precious to God. There's no doubt about it. He died for us. He died for me. You can say that to yourself. He died for me. I am precious and loved by God. But Daniel, like many others in the scriptures, had a special mission and a greater esteem from God. Okay? A greater respect from God. We can say that because Gabriel appeared to him to answer his prayers, okay? We can say that because Gabriel appeared to him to answer his prayers because he found special favor with God. Like Gabriel appeared to someone else. Does anybody know? Please tell me you know, okay? Around Christmas time, we dress little kids up, march them up to the front, right? Okay? One of them gets to be Gabriel, and he goes to who? Mary, okay? Mary was the favored one of the Lord, wasn't she? Mary was the favored one of the Lord. We don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. Some of you coming to this church might say, how can we not say any prayers to Mary? We don't pray to Mary because she is not God, okay? She is a favored one chosen for a specific and special mission from God. So Daniel, Mary, and others who received these amazing, amazing experiences Sure, there's some kind of special, greater kind of love and preciousness for these people because of the way that they obey to God. So Gabriel came, for you are greatly loved. Like Daniel, you are greatly loved. You're part of a people group that now is really in the majority in rebellion. That's what's going on. The, the Jewish people were, majority were in rebellion. Here, Daniel, a godly man, stands up still praying, still doing the work, still loving the Lord. Of course, God is like, that's my boy, okay? That's my boy. That's the one that's doing what he's supposed to be doing. So we can't debate that some people are used by God in greater ways than others. Gabriel was sent to Daniel to answer his prayer. Then we come to this question. Can we expect answers to prayer? Can we expect answers to prayer? Of course we can. Are those answers going to be delivered by the angel Gabriel? Unlikely, okay? Maybe. I'm not saying it can happen, but it's pretty unlikely that the messenger Gabriel is going to come and answer your prayer like he did to Daniel, like he appeared to Mary. But when Gabriel delivers this answer to Daniel's prayer, the good news for us is this. It not only answers it for Daniel, but guess what? Here we are a few thousand years later reaping the benefit of a godly man praying and saying, God, what's going to happen? What's the end look like? How's this captivity? How are your people ever going to turn back to you? So the answer informs us all, and guess what? It's going to inform us on some already and some not yet prophecy. Some already and not yet prophecy. So for you prophecy lovers, yes, praise the Lord. For you people that are like, Pastor Mike, this Daniel thing's been confusing me. Just bear with me. I tried the best I could to simplify it as much as I could so that you can understand what's going on here. So now we're going to enter into some seriously heavy prophecy. It's only a few verses, but it's some heavy prophecy. 
And it starts off, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. So this is Gabriel saying this to Daniel, saying 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So here's what we have to do here. We have to break this down. So I'm going to just break it down. This is going to all be verse 24, and I'm just going to add to it as we go. So the first breakdown is this. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Remember, he's praying to God, what's going on? What, are, my people are still in captivity. What's going on? So the first thing we need to deal with is this term 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Now, the Hebrew word for week means a unit of seven. So 70 units of seven is what's going to happen here. 70 units of seven. Most theologians believe this is 490 units of time that are decreed for God's people. Remember, Daniel's prayer and questions revolve around how long will this captivity and suffering of Israel last, and will God's people dwell in the Holy Land. So basically he's saying, your people are in captivity, they're scattered, they don't have a land, they don't have a temple. How long is this going to last? So the first thing that we have to ask, ask ourselves is what? What's this 490 units of time? 70 weeks, 490 units of times. What, what unit of time is it? Is it days, 490 days? Is it weeks, 490 weeks? Is it months, 490 months? Or is it years, 490 years? Through study, and this is where I'm trying to simplify as much as I can, through studies, theologians have found that the best way to make sense and knowing what they know about history. Now, when I say already and not yet, all of this is not yet to Daniel. Let me just tell you that. All of this is not yet to Daniel, but now we're standing over here, and we look, and we're like, already, okay? And we're going to see some not yet, but a lot of this is already for us. So basically, through study, the theologians have found to make sense of this, and looking at history, it must be 70 units of years, or in other words, 490 years, 490 years. Next, it needs to be noted that this is about Israel and the land. Gabriel says to Daniel about your people and your holy city. This is directly for Israel. You have to understand that. You have to grab hold of that and say, okay, this is talking about Israel. Because as we get through this, you're going to realize, okay, these things are directed right towards Israel. Now, here's another question. Israel was known as God's people. God chose Israel to reveal his plan, okay? And some people don't like that. They're like, well, why did God choose Israel? And I'm going to give you the answer to that. And you better write this down because Paul says in Romans that we have no right to ask. That's what he says, okay? Do you like that? No, it's like when your parents, why can't I go here? Because. Why not? Because. Why not? Because, well, that, God says you have no right. Okay, you're the child. He's the father. You have no right to even ask that question. I don't know why God chose Israel. He had to choose somebody, right? He chose Israel, and that's why Jesus was Jewish. That's why his whole plan is being unfolded through his people, Israel, which is interesting, right? Why? 
Paul says, don't even bother asking. It's not for you to ask. It's God's plan. And I don't know about you, but I rest in the fact that I serve a God that I don't have all the answers. Because guess what? If we did have all the answers, we would be God. And the world would be a pretty bad place if that were the case, wouldn't it? So let's move on. It needs to be noted that this is about Israel. So Gabriel says to your people and your holy city. So Israel and the Holy Land. This is important to see this as Jewish people for a proper understanding of the end times. This is not about Gentile believers in Jesus, which is us. So which brings us to the next question, that is, what is this 490 years allotted for? Or what is the purpose? Thankfully, this one short little verse in Daniel 24 answers that with six reasons what this is for. So we start off, and it says, to finish the transgression. Okay, transgression has the root meaning to rebel. And this is a reference to Israel's rebellion against God. And that rebellion will come to an end when the 490 years are over, which we'll actually see at the second coming of Jesus. Now, some of you that are mathematicians out there are like, wait, 490 years, wait, wait what's going on here? We're going to get to that, okay? The rebellion of Israel will come to an end when the majority turn to him during the tribulation time. Romans 11, Paul teaches about their rebellion and their eventual turning to Jesus. That does not mean that every Jewish person will turn to Jesus, but the majority of Israel will make a mass turning to Jesus during the tribulation time. The second thing that, that will happen is this. To put an end to sin. Daily sin will persist until the second coming of Jesus. As believers, this is important because we sin, because sin is the reason why things are not perfect. Sin is the reason why things are not perfect. When people wonder why bad things happen, you turn on the news, you're like, what is going on with this world? And people do that all the time. They ask me, Pastor Mike, what's going on with this world? What's going on? What's going on? Well, the answer is sin. Sin is going on. And until there is an end to sin, things will not get better. Let me say that again. Until there is an end to sin, things will not get better. So you can expect to get sick. You can expect for people to commit crimes. You can expect for things to break down. You can expect for all the things that have been happening to continue to happen until an end of sin is made. So then, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Atone means to make amends or reparation. Jesus made atonement on the cross and paid for our sins on the cross, but it's not applied until we believe. Right? It's not applied to you until you believe. In the case of the majority of Israel, this will not be applied to them until they believe, and that will happen when the mass turning to Jesus during the tribulation happens. Then, it says, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now remember, at the second coming of Jesus... He'll come and he'll rule for a thousand years on this earth in righteousness. That righteous rule will not end because then he will make all things new, new heaven and new earth. 
So basically, what's happening here is we're seeing this unfold now. Like one of the purposes is eventually to bring in everlasting righteousness. Then it says to seal both the vision and the prophet. To seal up and bring to a final end. The 490 year time period will conclude all of God's purposes and there will be no more prophecy or no more need for prophecy. Okay, we, nobody's going to be sitting there like in the millennial reign like, or in, in the new heavens and new earth like, what's going to happen next, okay? This is what's, it's everlasting righteousness, no more sin. We live with God in communion with him. So then the final thing is to, and, and to anoint a most holy place. That place will be the dwelling place of people with God for eternity. So now we have the purpose of the 490-year time period. The next thing Gabriel does is something amazing. He actually breaks down how the 490-year time period will look. And I, again, I'm going to try to make this as easy to understand as I possibly can. I mean, people spend literally scores and scores and scores of hours and years researching this and connecting all the dots for history. So that work was already done for us. The best thing that we can do now is uh, look at that work and then understand it for ourselves. And that's where I come in. I look at that work and try to explain it to you the best way I can. So he says this. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. So now this 490-year period that Gabriel is communicating to Daniel will not start until the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So when is that? When does the word go out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? Well, for Daniel, that was in the future. But now we can look back and realize that in Nehemiah chapter 2, King Artaxerxes granted permission to Israel to rebuild Jerusalem in 445 B.C. Now, what this verse is teaching us is between the decree and the anointed one, a prince, this is talking about Jesus, to come, there will be 69 units of seven years. So we got to put the seven weeks and then the 62 weeks, that's 69 weeks, which is 69 units of seven years. In other words, 483 years. So here's what the breakdown looks like. So we have the seven weeks is the 49 years. Why is that significant? Why did the angel Gabriel say, okay, you got seven weeks. We're starting with seven weeks. Seven uh, weeks, 49 years from the time of Nehemiah to, to the completion of Jerusalem as a functioning city. That's what that 49 years is. So when historians look back, they say, okay, when the decree came from Artaxerxes, they rebuilt and then Jerusalem became a functioning city in 49 years. This stuff's amazing. I mean, this is God foretelling what happens, and then it goes and happens. Then there will be 62 weeks. Now, this is where it gets really exciting. There will be 62 weeks, which is 434 years, in which the city would continue to work, but will continually have trouble and issues 
due to wars and conflicts. So now when they look at the Holy Land, they see wars, conflict, pain in the neck. Everything's just like nothing is going well. There's this troubled time. Then, historically, after the whole 483 years later, here is what happens. After the 62 weeks, the 434 years, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Now, I'm going to give you three guesses, but I'm going to stop at one. Who you think that the anointed one was? Okay? His name is Jesus. <laughs> so now when they look back in history, they say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, we're counting the years, and we see when the Messiah comes. Now, this is amazing for so many reasons. In AD 32, Jesus rode into Jerusalem at, on a donkey, and he was showing himself to be king of the Jews, right? He was showing himself. Literally, this is 483 years from the time of the decree. Now, some of you that are mathematicians, you might be like thinking like, okay, I'm doing some quick math. Like, I know you took out your iPhone, this and that, and you're wondering, and, and here's, the, here's where it gets really interesting. Years were calculated as 360 days in ancient time. So they started to calculate everything day by day by day by day to the pinpoint day, I think it was April 6th, of A.D. 32, that Christ actually presented himself as the king of the Jewish people. Now, here's an issue that cannot be solved here, but can make us think. Now, if you were a good Jewish, God-fearing person that knew the scriptures, and you were looking at this stuff and learning this stuff, wouldn't you know who Jesus was? Well, here's the problem. When you're in rebellion and you don't study the scriptures, you're never going to know, which is a great lesson for us today, right? You're wondering, what's going on in my life? What's God's will for my life? What's my purpose? But you're not reading God's word. You're not studying God's word. You don't really even care. You only care when something bad happens. And you're like, why, God? How come it's me? Well, I'll tell you how come it's you. Because you're not aware of what God is doing and trying to communicate to you in your life. So you're missing the point of so many things to the point that you might even be missing how to obey God in the proper way. Because guess what? His word tells us. So Israel's rebellion, part and parcel, is due to the fact that they weren't counting the years. They weren't looking for the Messiah. They weren't really truly studying, even the very religious leaders. Why do you think Jesus, the people that he went after the most, weren't the gluttons and the drunkards, were they? No, they were the religious people that were teaching people the wrong things or not teaching people at all and letting people go down the wrong way and not saying, hey, guys, this is what the word says. But there were a few. And one of them was greatly loved by God, and his name was Daniel. So there's two events that cause. Now, th this is where it gets a little bit confusing, but to me it makes perfect sense. So hopefully after I teach you it, it makes perfect sense as well. So to the point of Jesus, there are 69 historical weeks, or 483 years. Then there's a 70th week that will encompass the final seven years to seal up all this prophecy 
and finish off what needs to be finished off. Now, you've been sitting in Daniel for a while now, okay? What do you think that seven-year period is? Yeah, it's the tribulation. The final 70th week is the tribulation period. So there's going to be two events that cause a gap of time between the 69th week and the 70th week, and that is Jesus the Anointed One will be cut off or put to death, having nothing, which is a part of what happened to Jesus when he was crucified. And the second event is this. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, what we have to do here is figure out who is this prince who is to come. Now, the prince can't be identified as Jesus because Jesus' people don't destroy the city. Okay, Jesus' people, Christians, do not destroy the city. So this prince has to be none other than the Antichrist. So this is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Historically, we can go back and we can look. Jerusalem was destroyed by who? The Romans. Okay. Now we have to connect all our dots. I told you I was going to try to make this easy. Okay. Now we have, to, we have to connect all the dots. We have to identify the prince is not Jesus. It's the Antichrist. The people of the Antichrist are Rome 1. Remember back to the statue image in chapter 2 and the beast vision in chapter 7. If you don't remember, I got a slide for you, okay? So Rome 1 was the legs of iron, dreadful, strong, and terrifying in the seven beasts. So the Antichrist was not in the world at that time, but the rejectors of Jesus can be categorized as people that are of the Antichrist. Why? Because they're not for Christ. So if you're not for Christ, guess what? You're against Christ. So the Antichrist, even though was not in the world during Rome 1, these are the people, this is the spirit that did this, okay? That destroyed like this. It's never God's people. It's, it's the Antichrist people. So then we move on and we look, Rome 2 the feet of iron and clay and the ten horns and then the Antichrist and the little horn, these are all things that are yet to come. Do you remember, Rome 2 is when this whole ten-king federation comes together okay? and the Antichrist rises up the little horn to tell people, hey, guess what? There's going to be some peace. Okay, I'm going to get everything together. I'm going to get everything together and things are going to be good. Things are going to be good for you, Israel. Things are going to be good for the world. Now, remember, this is after the rapture of the church, which Daniel does not talk about the rapture of the church, which is another proof positive on how it, this is a prophecy directed right towards Israel, because guess who's not going to be raptured? Israel, okay, unless they're a Jewish person that believes in Jesus during the church age, like you and I. So here's what the 69 weeks looks like, the 400 and um, 83 years, it starts off, Jerusalem rebuilt one to seven weeks. The decree of Artaxerxes has historically already happened. So at the, at the end of that seven or the 49 years, that's when things like, you know, it's a functioning city. So then there's the years between rebuilding and the Messiah, 
They calculated all the years. It's 483 years. Messiah cut off. Jerusalem then later destroyed a little after Christ was cut off. So now there's this gap of time. There's this gap of time. So there's two things that happened. The Messiah was cut off from Jerusalem and, and it, where the Messiah was cut off and then Jerusalem destroyed. Now we're in this gap of time between Rome 1 and Rome 2. Now, why do we believe that there's this gap of time? Well, if there's no gap of time between the 69th and the 70th week, we'd be way beyond it, right? None of these prophecies could have happened because we're, we're like way too many years, like 2,000 years beyond it. So if it's really 490 years, then there has to be this gap of time, which, you know, when we look at end times prophecy and stuff, we're kind of, we're in that gap, right? The church age is that gap of time. You with me? I hope so. Okay. So obviously those six purposes from chapter, or from verse 24 have not been fulfilled yet, right? Everlasting righteousness, not happening. There's not a full-on end of sin, not happening yet. So this gap also makes sense because Israel has no land right now. You know why there's turmoil in the Holy Land? I know we don't hear about it much anymore because of the Russia-Ukraine thing. But there's no land for Israel. There's no temple for Israel to worship. Their covenant blessings during this gap are undetectable. So if you were to say to somebody, the Jewish people are God's chosen people, they would be like, why would you ever say that? Like, it's a mess. They have no place to worship. They have no land. They're, they're, they're nomads roaming the earth, in a sense. They're not together worshiping in community. So now, as we learned in the past weeks, we're waiting for Jesus to appear and take us all home, and we trust that he is going to take us to heaven, right? And after the seven years of tribulation, this will happen. This is the 70th week of Daniel. The seven years of tribulation is the 70th, 70th week of Daniel. Now, this is where I feel like the entire plan makes sense when it comes to a time of tribulation on the entire earth. It's God dealing with Israel. The people that he chose to reveal his love and salvation through, the majority have turned their back on him, and he wants to communicate the magnitude of their rebellion since the days of Daniel. So God is a loving father. He's saying, listen, you kids have just turned your back on me. Here's what happens when you turn your back on me. I'm stepping back, no protection right now. And just things are not going to go well. Romans 1 talks about this. It talks about this for the Christian. You know, it talks about this and basically tells us, you know, sometimes God just steps back. It's called his passive wrath. He's like, you know what? You're so rebellious and you're going to continue on the way that you're going. And you know what? I'm not going to protect you. You're going to reap the consequences. And that's what's going on here. Remember, this does not mean that every Jewish person rejects Jesus, but sadly, the majority as a nation do. And this, the time after the rapture of the church, Israel, in their rebellion against God, will comply with the Antichrist. And here's what happens. And he, the Antichrist, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This is the seven years. And for half a week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So this is the midway in the middle of the tribulation. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. 
Let me give you a slide here so you know. Okay, well, actually, I'm going to give you one in a few minutes. Um, Israel will sign a peace treaty, a covenant, with the Antichrist for one week. For half a week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So here's what's going to happen. Israel, as a nation, will sign this peace treaty with the Antichrist, obviously not knowing he's the Antichrist, because he'll be a powerful leader that promises peace and protection to them. You don't have a land, you don't have a temple, I can help you out. That's what happens. Okay? And then some of you are like, well, wh why doesn't anybody wake up? Wouldn't they see this? Well, that's rebellion, okay? You're going to look at this and you're eh, okay? I don't believe that. Okay? I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe this. That's what basically they're saying. Then halfway through the seven-year tribulation, three and a half years later, after the temple is set up for sacrifice and rebuilt, he's going to turn on Israel, set himself up to be worshipped. This is all in Revelation. It's called the abomination of desolation. At that point, he will turn on them for three and a half years, persecute them heavily for three and a half years. During that time, there's going to be a great and massive amount of Jewish people that come to Christ as a, from the testimony of 144,000 Jewish witnesses of Christ. So this is what's going to really populate the, the end of the tribulation with the gospel. The people, mainly Jewish people, that come to Christ will be persecuted by the Antichrist until the tribulation is over and the second coming. Here's that slide I promised. So the covenant made, this is the 70th week, or better known as the tribulation. Israel's protected for three and a half years. Abomination of desolation, that's the covenant broken. Israel then persecuted at the end of that seven years, the second coming of Christ. Now, if this is all true and prophesied in the scriptures, why don't people wake up and see it? Well, in particular, why don't the Jewish people, majority, wake up and see it? Well, the answer is they don't believe it's true. They don't believe it's true. Now, when I go through all this stuff, this makes sense to me. Through study of scripture, this makes 100% perfect sense to me. I'm praying that you feel the same way after hearing this this morning. Because this is the truth of the scripture. And one thing that we know about the scripture, when we can see that the things in it come to pass, guess what? It validates everything else we know that is true. For us today, the fact that we can connect those dots and see things fulfilled already is an encouragement to our faith to know that the prophecies of the things to come will actually come to pass. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful, Lord, that now we can come to your table and we could spend time worshiping you through communion. So I pray, Lord, that we would search our own hearts to make sure that we're not in rebellion in certain areas of our life. I pray these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. So this morning, we're going to observe communion. And the two things that we do is, first, we remember what Christ has done.